0: The following content is a live panel discussion taken from the Second World Tennis Conference in association with the Global Professional Tennis Coaches Association and the Seagal Institute, whose founder, Fernando Sigal moderated the discussion. If you missed any of the event, you can still sign up to watch exclusive presentations by the likes of Boris Becker, Janko Tipsarovic, Ivan Lubchich, Gilles Savara, Brad Gilbert, Tony Nadal and many others. Many more. Simply go to worldtennisconference.com to subscribe. Three guests which are in the conference presenting is with us, Dr. Mark Kovacs. Hi, Mark. Hey, everyone. Also, Jan Barstow from Australia. G'day, guys. And also, Cinto Casanova from Spain and living in Japan. Hi, Cinto. Hi, everybody. Uh, Thank you to be with us on the live panel and also in the second edition of the World Tennis Conference. Let me introduce a little bit about Dr. Kovacs. Uh, He's a performance uh, physiologist, researcher, professor, author of many books, speaker, and he is currently working at the Kovacs Institute, developing a lot of courses, very research and very important materials. It's a privilege for us that also he is running uh, the Tennis Performance Association, the International Tennis Performance Association, which is he is the executive director, uh, developing a lot of different uh, specialists on that. Thank you, Dr. Kovacs. Thank you, Mark, to be with us.
1: Thanks, Fernando. Excited to be here. and Thanks for all the work putting this together.
0: Uh, thank you. Thank you for all your help for our sport. And also we have uh, Ian Barstow. He has a Master in Health Science, And the University of Florida. He has worked with many top athletes for more than 30 years, uh, working in 35 Grand Slams and different uh, other sports. And he has a revolutionary approach uh, in terms of uh, to keep helping players on the movement on the court. And also uh, his presentation is very good one. You have to watch today like Mark Kovacs presentation. Thank you, Jan, to be with us. Good day, Fernando.
2: Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure to be at the World Tennis Conference.
0: And also we have Sinto. Sinto is actually the head coach of the Sakura Tokyo Tennis Club in Japan. He's a senior elite tennis coach. He's a coach, educator, speaker, and presenter. And he's doing a wonderful presentation about coordination uh, on our platform in the World Tennis Conference. Uh, He will introduce... Tinto, you're going to be the first. Try. Uh, let's do the sharing of your presentation and then we go ahead with the other speakers.
3: All right. Thanks, Fernando. Thanks for the introduction. I just wanted to add one correction that I'm the head of physical training in Sakurada Club, but not the head coach. Okay. So they're going to get angry with me. <laughs>
0: no, no, don't worry. We have to All keep right. our... This is life. We have to keep taking care of the politicals. You know. All right.
3: Yes, 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 exactly. Okay. so I'm going to share my presentation. I just want to we're talking about physical development and I'm mainly I'm I'm a coach for for junior players and the physical trainer for in the in the junior stages. So I want to share some very basic ideas on what are the key points when when we're training from from juniors. And it's all things that, that, that come from my experience. So I hope you guys that uh, after I, I, I present this, you, you guys also can give me some comments and, and help me to grow on, on this. So first thing, first thing that um, I pay a lot of attention when, when I work with juniors is first, before we do any activity is to create a learning environment with, with, with my groups. And, and what does it mean? It means I, I pay a lot of attention on, on creating habits of listening to the instructions. And um, because I, I think, first of all, I, I, will, uh, I need them to understand well what we're going to do. I want to, them to absorb the, the message and the instructions how to perform well the exercises. And having these habits of listening. I think it's it's one of the first thing as a as a physical trainer we have to pay attention to how to do that. So for example, on manipulating the 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 place the space where we where we deliver the messages. So for example, when I'm when I'm in a lesson, I I like if we are in the gym, for example, to bring them all into in front of the whiteboard, always to deliver the information there, and then from there we move on to 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 do the exercises always using the same space and I think this helps in helps in the flow of the of the lesson and and in the end it creates an environment of learning that it's very important I think also how to I think it's important how we interrupt the exercises to to make corrections Uh, do we scream when they are performing the exercise they are focusing doing something or we stop the exercises, we deliver the information that is needed, and we go back into the exercise. This is something that I think is also very important. Okay, number two. Also, it's really key, of course, this is obvious, but that the, the players, the juniors, they understand exactly the purpose of the exercise. Not only the, 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 correct, the correct execution, how to do it, but also what are we working on? what is the connection of with this exercise with the on-court performance and I think understanding well what are we working on and and what is the connection of what we're doing on court in tennis it's a really powerful motivator and it's something that that it has to it really has to be really clear then when we work with juniors I think it's really important we, we focus on quality over volume and intensity. And it, I mean, learn well how to perform the movements, the, the training movements correctly first, especially to avoid injury. That's a, a really big concern for me when working, working with, with young players. We have to avoid injury. We have to learn well how to, how to make the posture. If we're doing squats, if we're doing lunges, how to how to position your knees how to how to position your back this is this is the first thing when we're working with juniors we want to have a, a strong solid technique from the beginning when we perform exercises so we avoid injuries and we are, we actually we work the, the, the muscles or, or the chains that that we want to work really key I think and also nowadays that I think the people sometimes focus on on a really powerful and an instant message but in training i think the most important is not how strong you do it one day how intense you did one day but how constant you are in your work how regular is your 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 work so i think about the um, my juniors I'm, I'm always on them telling them that it's not about how hard you push today but how, how regular you are on your, on your daily routines, how regular you are on your training, how constant you are in your, in your habits. I think that's an important point too. Okay. I also, I also think that the instructions when we're training not always have to come from the coach, but sometimes I think it's really important that we allow moments of, of being independent and managing, let the, let the players manage the the training by themselves of course they need they need to know what they're doing they need to have a maybe a program but sometimes allow for them to take care of the of the times and and the order of the exercises and coach just supervising i think it's important we we develop this um, this independency on on our players and that in the end it will create the the habits and routines that that we want we want them to be able to do in the end, by themselves, right? To take care of themselves when we are, when they go on tour, when they go on, on tournament, we want them to have these strong habits and we need to allow for, in, for this independency sometimes. And I'm talking about routines. Uh, I think this is really important. Actually, creating daily routines. For me, I, I feel as a, as a trainer, but also a tennis, tennis coach, I feel really, really happy and satisfied when, when I see that my, my players, they end up doing the daily routines or they develop daily habits and they do the things by themselves. When I, when I go to a tournament and I, and I see the player that I've coached, that he's doing a really good warm-up by himself without me instructing what, what, what to do, this is when I feel really, really happy with, with the job that we have done in, in the club. So being able to to develop these warm-up routines, activation, um, stretches, cool downs, it's really important for for the juniors. And it's our responsibility to create these habits at this age. Also, I think for juniors is, and and I saw that Mark uh, is talking about about tests in in his conference today, but I, I also was thinking about that it's really important to have a a battery of tests for our juniors not only for tracking the results and the improvements but also as a motivator for, for them to to give them goals to give them targets to reach and and be able to to motivate them somehow and I think having a structure battery of tests that you perform regularly it's really really important and really good motivator for them to to pay attention on their physical training okay also very powerful motivator are the games so i think as a as a trainer we also need to have certain games that that, that work on the on the goals that, that that we are focusing on that term and and using these games as a motivator as a refreshing refreshing the sometimes sometimes the kids are a little bit tired you you add this game that will keep them engaged on on the on the later training so always having games that that work on these physical skills that that we are working on that time it, it's very important and the last the last point that i wanted to though i wanted to mention is that really important not to repeat the same program for too long but we need to have progressions on, on the on the exercises that that are touching the goals that we are working on, progressions and variations of those exercises. So we progressions from simple to more complex, variations of equipment or space. Even even by making a variation on the space where you perform the exercise. Sometimes it's already it feels it makes the exercise feel fresh, and even if you are we are working on the same goals but you you add this freshness on the training that is important if what we want is to have a we said before we want to to have a we said that the important thing is to have a regular and and periodical training not just focusing one day hard to have this regularity and keep the motivation on the kids we need to have these progressions and variations and to make them feel fresh on 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 the training well that's that uh, those are the points that I wanted to, to mention. So you, yeah, guys, I, I'm, I'm open, guys, that we discuss about this.
0: For sure. Thank you, Sinto. Uh, I I remember to all the attendees that you can do your questions. We have uh, our panel. And let me give you the first question, Mark, because you did work a lot. And you are doing a presentation about the evaluation test. Mm. How much mm. we need to, in tennis, we, uh, work on that, because we don't have enough enough data in, uh, let's say, you know, academies, countries about the evolution. You are predicting, you are doing a lot in that area to keep uh, that the people can understand the necessity uh, to work on that. But how, which are the, your impression about it? Yeah, no, I mean, as
1: was mentioned, testing is really important for knowing where someone's at today and where they need to get to. Uh, if they have goals and different things they're trying to accomplish, they need to understand if they're at a level that is going to be competitive. And, you know, we're talking about physical testing. There's also mental testing. There's you know, other aspects that you can look at, medical testing, things like that. But from a practical standpoint, There's some simple fitness tests that have been around for 40 plus years that we continue to use. The reason being is that we have normative data. We have over 100,000 data points on athletes doing these simple tests that anyone can do as long as you follow the protocols and do them so that they're done accurately. And that's the biggest problem. Everyone, including ourselves, we come up with new tests all the time for certain areas. We have new technologies that we incorporate to help us give more information or look deeper at certain tests, but I'm a big believer in we still have to use what we know from history because this gives us a sense of if someone's improving, how do they compare to previous generations of players as well? Because every new test that's developed is usually really good. It's gone through validation. Hopefully it's gone through reliability testing. The problem is it doesn't have years of normative data. So you know that the, the test that you're doing is showing some outcome, but you don't actually know what that means compared to the best in the world, compared to college players, compared to high level juniors, male, female, all these different variables. So we have to be careful. And too many people, I think, try to create new tests when there are some really good, simple um, tests that have lasted for decades and provide really good value. But again, we want to test everything. And a lot of the discussion is testing is training and training is testing. You should be able to test every day in some capacity. It doesn't have to be always a formal test. It could just be video. You may video someone doing a drill and then the the next week video it again. And you want to see if there's an improvement. So we have to understand objective testing is one thing when we have very well-defined metrics, We can really make sure that we get very, very accurate. But then there's also general coaching testing, which most coaches do on a daily basis, where sometimes they do it well, sometimes they do it with a bias. And the biggest concern we have is what's called confirmational bias, when coaches think that a certain stroke or a certain movement is the best for that player because it worked for another player, and they immediately force themselves to believe that that's the right way to do it. And the hardest part when we coach is we go in with biases and we have to try to be careful that we don't always think a certain player should play a certain way or hit a certain movement or move a certain way because it worked well for a previous player that we worked with. So those are just some thoughts in general on testing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Jan, your consideration about it? Oh, I think it's great. I think I learned from Yander a
2: long time ago and he says the movement is the test and the test is the movement. I mean, as... There are some old tests that we can really use to get uh, benchmarks on where our athletes are at. But, you know, I look at it now, this presentation is about the spine. So uh, every week we're looking at their range of motion and their strength through that range of motion. What we look at is that a range of strength now and really trying to prevent injuries. That's what, what my primary focus is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then a very good presentation about the spine. And the last one, it was with Movement and Mark also, he's always producing materials about movement. But from my point of view, uh, we did it in Argentina when I was the director. You know, almost 27 years ago, we did. Uh, we test all our national players under 12, 14, and 16, and we have in incorporation all the measurements about Americans, French, Russians, uh, and we in simple things like Marseille flexibility, how they do. You know, side to side, couple of things to create a database of the players. But it seems to me that we don't we don't jump ahead enough in terms how to use the test everywhere, every time. What do you think, Mark?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, unfortunately, everyone does it differently, and the problem with doing it differently is you don't have consistency with the data, and that's the biggest concern. Especially with the influx of great technology, and we use technology every day in different ways, but the problem is if you measure, say, vertical jump on a force plate, that gives you a very different number than vertical jump on a wall with your arm touching as high as you can. So the problem with vertical jump numbers is they don't compare. And it's that's just one example, but that happens with speed testing that happens with flexibility testing that happens with all sorts of testing depends on how you do it as to whether you compare your numbers to previous data sets. So you really have to be careful on how you're doing your testing and if you're doing it for your own internal comparing to your own athlete just to show improvement then that's great because it's comparing to themselves. The problem is when you start comparing to other data sets, you've got to make sure you're collecting the data the same way that those other data sets have been collected.
0: Yeah, and Cinto, how you are you doing in Japan with uh, in your program? you're When you are collecting data, how do you work on that?
3: Well, I, I have a, a few tests that are standard that I, that I follow, like for example, the shuttle run. I, I use it still. Um, but basically, um, I like what, uh, what Mark said, and it's basically what I do that, that he said, uh, test is training and training is testing is I use training exercises and I see how, and, and I, and I challenge them to perform in, in a, in a certain way. And I, and I follow up fr- from this exercise. Sometimes I take videos and, and I, and I show them that's what we did one month ago. Can we get better? Can we, can we improve the change of direction? Can we do this? And, and then I follow up on that. So really, I, I like those words. Test is training and training is testing. That's, that's what, I, what I follow most.
0: Yeah, Jan, yeah. Uh, you are very competitive, like a professional, no? like a, a physical coach. And also to be competitive is a very important aspect uh, of the player. How do you work with the player to be competitive doing exercises? You know to work with themselves, even they are doing the physical part, how they come, you know, to be able to develop the competitive sensations. No,
2: um, I like to have group training and where they, they benchmark each other, and actually, different athletes from different sports where they compete against each other, and where it's always a, like a competitive thing. We do a lot of drills that are all of competitive nature, and it's very like stripped down and fun. I, I like just these good athletes because i i have worked with a lot of fighters too but they'll actually compete with the tennis players and it's in a, a very uh, fun way but they learn a lot of mental toughness through this you know and that's it i think that's one thing that uh tennis is a very competitive one-on-one sport and i think that uh, in the drills if you'll do too much individual training you kind of baby them you know a little that's just my personal so I kind of like group where I put them together and have them compete a little bit.
0: Absolutely. And Mark, you you, you work many, many different areas of the science within your institute and with uh, your uh, association. How do you work mixing the mental area, the physical area to perform? What do you think?
1: Yeah, so as we know, there's some mental surveys and scales that we utilize more so looking at overall well being and um, general areas of um, mental health. And we try to look at that to see are there changes that occur throughout the week, throughout the month uh, to help us adjust programming. It's really difficult because a lot of that is still subjective. So you're relying on, especially if you're talking juniors, young athletes to give information that's accurate, which is really difficult. The data is not great on getting surveys on young athletes and letting them express themselves accurately. So some of the objective data you're looking at now is uh, sort of autonomic nervous system responses to various stresses um, and trying to utilize some objective metrics to give you an insight is the athlete feeling good today? Not so good. Uh, it doesn't mean that you may, are necessarily going to change your programming, but it just may give you a sense that you may have to be a, be a, adjust how you approach things based on what you're seeing. So it helps give you a better framework of how you go into your sessions.
0: Jan, yeah, let's talk about your presentation a little bit. You know, you you your presentation is very good. How to take care about the spine? Give us some more feedback about it. Um, Well, I think
2: you always regret not strengthening where you're injured. Uh, The number one injury that human beings have, including tennis players, is our back. And in sports, it tends to be a hyperextension injury or injury occurring at the end of range. And traditionally, we've done planks, and that really limits our strengthening to plus, minus 15 degrees of carryover, yet our spine has at least 30 to 50 degrees of extension and 100 plus of flexion, meaning that we've left our spine unprotected. Worst yet, we've left it unprotected where the injuries occur. You know, I've worked for 30 years with spine patients and getting the strong in the, these, these positions are very critical. And I think there's a lot of fear-mongering about disc and all this. And they haven't got the training right. You know, a lot of the tennis athletes that I see a lot of actually professional athletes I see have relegated their core training to just planks. And I think that, you know, I know in Australia, they do not do this. They, they've gone through more range of motion because they've realized this, but I think it's a, a real missing link. I learned from an orthopedic surgeon uh, over 25 years ago and he called this the missing link in athletic development. And strange enough, 30 years, 25 years later, I still think it's the missing link in many of our athletes.
0: Mark. Uh, yeah, can I just
1: can I just reiterate on what Ian said? It's really great to hear his perspective because it's been a real frustration of mine seeing over, especially the last five to seven years, the avoidance of flexion, extension, lateral, lateral flexion, lat, lateral extension movements as well, um, taken out of programs um, because you know, especially if you're talking tennis. You need to be strong in all those ranges of motion, as Ian mentioned, and especially towards end range. And if you're not training those, um, how do you expect yourself to be able to handle it when you are putting those compromised positions on court? So, yeah, I just wanted to reiterate what Ian said. That-
0: of course, and this is, uh, that's is the panel to talk about. But it's coming about Guillermo is doing a very good you know, uh, question. Uh, let's go ahead first with you. Uh, Mark, what is the future of the physical development in tennis? What do you think is coming, let's say, for the next 10 years?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a few things that we're having challenges with. Obviously, the injury rates are going up. The performance side is over-focused on, meaning that people are trying to get athletes faster and and stronger many times without really uh, focusing on stabilization well enough. Um, and deceleration well enough. We're seeing that not only in tennis, in other sports, similar issues are happening. The athletes are training a lot harder. Um, Their performance metrics are going up in general, you know, strength, speed, power, things like that. But we're also putting a lot more forces and talks on the joints and they're they're having some breakdowns as a result so there's going to be that kind of balance of where do we where do we find that solution so a lot more emphasis there the technology involvement is obviously here already and having better more accurate metrics is going to help it's going to help make decisions better it's going to allow coaches and trainers and therapists to work on the things that really matter a lot more which hasn't always happened. A lot of the time from an injury standpoint, it's gone to the symptom, not the cause. And hopefully we're shifting more to figuring out causes better. Um, Nervous system is the biggest missing link with a lot of these scenarios and addressing the nervous system interactions on a lot of these things are starting to get better understood just because tech technology's allowed us to get a better sense of how nerve function's happening, what's happening to the autonomic nervous system, how does that play a role into the various aspects of what's going on. So those are the biggest things from a physical standpoint I think are going to really start shifting over the next decade. Um, but the concern is there's a lot of wacky ideas that are getting um, exposure because a good athlete is working with someone and they're using some techniques, some instruments, some technology that doesn't actually work and can do a lot of harm. So that's my biggest concern is the amount of bad information that's being spread because a good athlete is utilizing something that isn't actually helping them. They're just a great athlete and they're, they're utilizing it.
0: Yeah, the, the quality of the message to everyone, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well. yeah. I, ahead, yeah I, I
2: totally agree with Mark that there's just a lack of evidence based practice amongst the strength and conditioning. Some of the leaders in the field, I mean, it's just honestly, it's a bit of a joke what they're doing. Uh, and I'll just say it flat out. And then these are the working with the top people, and then it became comes monkey see, monkey do. I think the player would be better off resting. You know, it's getting more sleep and going and doing a lot of these silly drills that they have. Yeah, thank
0: you. It's very good. Time, how do you see the yeah. future?
3: Yeah, I agree. One thing that, that we are talking is that sometimes also it's the way that we that we are used to, to receive information now. That is that the flashier the better, right? So the people is creating content that they just focus on 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 flashy and 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 the more crazy is the exercise, the the better, right? because it, it, it gets more views or it, gets, it, create, it generates some interest. But uh, so yes, I think that sometimes that the information nowadays, it's, it's also the way we, we use these information platforms that it's harming the, the contents that we really should be working on. Yeah.
0: Probably is the influence of the social network, no? In yes, exactly, yes. To create impact rather to, yes. to create yes. prestige, no? Be a celebrity more than to be a prestigious person, no? Uh, Mark, you are working a lot since many, many years on that, and also young, but Mark, you have an institute and you're doing a lot for our sport. How do you see the awareness in the last 20-25 years in terms of how coaches are understanding more the physical part and how they are integrating the physical coach not only because in the past was like, uh, you know, the guy outside of the court, uh, that's it, go to do your fitness or whatever, you know. But now, how do you see with the uh, evolution of the courses, the information uh, in terms of the tennis coaches?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely have seen an, a, a much more interest from coaches. I think they understand the value now. You know, 15, 20 years ago, you had very few coaches that really put a lot of emphasis on it. Uh, a lot of the work was being done on court. Now, I think they realize there's a, there's a huge amount of value to a quality, you know, off-court physical training program. But the best ones integrate. So they incorporate things on court that happen off-court, off-court that happen on-court. And they actually personalize the program for the athlete based on the needs. And those are the best situations. You still, it's hard for many, many tennis coaches to speak the language of the physical trainer. And it's even harder for the physical trainer to speak the language of the tennis coach if they haven't grown up in the sport. And that's the biggest challenge. And that's where we try to spend a lot of time educating the physical trainers uh, on you know, how, how to work with tennis coaches. You know, Physical trainers many times are really well-trained in the weight room but they don't necessarily know the tennis movements. They don't know the interactions on court. The endurance side is challenging for many of them if they've come from other sports. Tennis, you need to have crazy amounts of endurance, but you need to train it the right way. Um, So there's all these things that they're learning together. And the good ones are doing it great, like in any industry, but there's still a big portion of folks that it's, tennis is a really challenging sport because you need to be good at everything. You need speed, strength, power, endurance, mobility. You need to know how to recover well. Uh, You need to know how to travel if you're playing at a high level. You need to travel and know how to travel well. So that's where a lot of the future benefits are going to happen when people continue to learn those areas.
0: Jan, you work on tennis, but also you are working with other sports. How is that relationship between the coach, the technical coach, and the physical coach if you compare? No. How do you see in tennis, like uh, my, my, my my question, and also how do you see in comparison with other sports about the relationship of the technical guys with a physical person?
2: Uh, I think uh, the integration, as Mark said, you've got to kind of seamlessly integrate and you've got to meet the athletes where they're at. You know, So I know a lot of fighters, but I know quite a bit about fighting. I know the coaches, so I meet them where they're at. And I try and educate them as mark said that's that's one of the keys is putting everyone on the same page and there's so many different opinions out there but i think it's science it's like this world tennis conference putting together the best minds so that the people know that they're, they're practicing the best way for their athletes and, and I, I think that's really the key we've got uh, we're drowning in information but we're starving for some wisdom and we need some wise people to put it together like Mark is doing at his Institute and like you're doing here, because that's what, there's just too much information on Instagram. You can see 50 different coaches doing 50 different drills, but one of those drills is probably the best drill for your player. And we need to ha- figure out how to drill down and find what is the, the, the best drill for your player. And that's, of course, that's an n of one, which means everyone's unique, but at the same time, everyone works right foot, left foot, right foot. Not many people were working, walking in a different pattern. So you know, these are the patterns that we need to do and working as a team is really the key. And the team, as we learn about these biomarkers, a, the team will be bigger. There's the mental toughness, there's the recovery. Um, there's so many other factors that we've just overlooked.
0: Yeah, let me, let, me, let me tell to the attendees about the conference. Remember that we have on the second edition of the World Tennis Conference, Our purpose for the GPTCA, the ATP, our institute and all the speakers and all the organizations involved, we want to keep growing in tennis. That's why we have 63 speakers, 20 more speakers in the live panels, because we want to share with you a lot of information, but you have to watch, you have the ability to watch, you know, plus these four days, 35 more days You can watch as many times you want, when you want, you can watch the presentation, stop, take notes, be back again. You can repeat because we want that you create, grow. You can develop a better tennis using the experience, the stories, the tips the recommendation for top guys like these three persons. This is very important. And the second concept that I wanna say, we produce our world, remember. Every attendee is receiving the tennis world of the conference with top ten recommendation for every speaker. We're gonna have ten top ten top recommendation from Mark, from Sinto, from Ian, and from other sixty-one speakers. Why? Because we want that you can create growth. That's the meaning and intention of the conference, and we will work, we will work all the year around about it. Uh, Going to Sinto, there is a question for you, Sinto. It's Mate from Hungary asking, my, my question will be, and this is for everyone, but let's, let's start with you, because you did uh, more focuses on the, on the kids, on the early stages. Uh, uh, Would be primary physical development focuses, areas for kids between eight and 12 years, which one could be? Well,
3: of course, coordination. Any anything related to the quality of movement, the rhythm, or the separating rhythm of each side of the body, lateral rhythm, separating lower body and upper body rhythms, balance—all these type of exercises are, are the, all these all these skills are the ones that we need to work at on, on those stages. I, I, I believe. But me, I, I'm really a believer of movement. So I, I do a lot of coordination and movement and exercises with, with my kids at, the, at these stages.
0: Ian, what's your recommendation for early ages? Even if you are working in high performance. And nine to 11, you know, they're the skill
2: hungry years. So I think they need to learn the specific skills of tennis. I, I, I love them to try and emulate the best players to move towards that so that they're copying the movement patterns. Not me, an old man, but of the Djokovic of or if it's a girl, Ash Bidey or someone, whoever the kids like. But I really, because uh, technology is just coming in and it's amazing what we can actually use. And, and kids are visual learners, is what I found. So I use a lot of videos showing the exact movements of the best players in the world. And then I try and have them move towards moving that way.
1: Mark? Yeah, I agree with both speakers 100%. The only other thing I would add is speed is a huge opportunity at that young age. So we try to really emphasize speed of movement and even speed of strokes for the tennis coach. The challenge with tennis is the faster you swing, the less accurate you usually get at that age. So there's a there's a balance there because they got to put the ball on the court. But off-court, we try to do a lot of speed-based work at that young age to try to instill that because there's, there's a lot of good, good science and good data to support that as a really opportune time to train that.
0: Another question which uh, is coming is for, for you, Mark, is can you give me, Jennifer is asking, can you give me some explains about those missing exercises in Dennis? Because she put you it about nervous systems. How we can coach them? Probably some uh, some uh, some points about what uh, you say that we have to take care of the nervous system as well. I think- yeah.
1: So when, if it's coming from an injury standpoint or an injury risk standpoint, a lot of it comes down to that stabilization, but understanding where the stabilization is coming from. You know, a lot of people will do work on foot or the hip or things like that, but that's still coming from the brain. So we have to then make sure the athletes understanding that there's a reaction component to a lot of this doing a lot of stabilization without a reactive component doesn't help as much because tennis is played at at a high speed and you're reacting always to your opponent. So the exercises themselves there's thousands of exercises, you can choose it's more. So do you have a frame of reference of what you're trying to accomplish? And I think that's where the emphasis is because, you know, we don't have the time now to go through all the exercises for the different areas, but the concept is how do you make it more reactive? And how do you create environments where the athlete can stabilize uh, when they need to under those higher velocity movements? So deceleration comes into a lot of this as well. And I'm sure Ian's got some thoughts on that as well.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree that, you know, there's a lot of reaction drills that they can do with simple lights that they have and very cheap, like apps like switched on that they, where they're reacting and to, because tennis is a reaction sport. It's a, you know, series of reactions and then having great stability when you're moving at high velocity with um, being able to decelerate. Well, I think that's, we're all worried about the accelerators. But the great athletes decelerate well and change your direction super well. It's after they hit the ball that, that, that they're, they're very balanced and the recovery step is amazing. And you just have to look at Novak and you have to look at his stability in those extremely hard positions.
0: Yeah. Uh, talking, Mark, talking about innovation, let's let's bring which, which kind of a recommendation we can say to coaches and also probably some physical coach like attendee, you know, uh, watching the the panel, which kind of uh, innovation did you see that the coaches can use in terms to improve in the physical area?
1: Yeah, so I'm fortunate because I get to teach a graduate class in sport technology. So we get exposed to sort of the latest and greatest anywhere from, you know, free apps to $500,000 pieces of equipment. So you sort of see the spectrum of options out there. Uh, And from a tennis standpoint, the biggest concern I see right now is not what you should use. It's what what you shouldn't use. Meaning that there's a lot of apps out there. There's a lot of wearables out there that don't have good validity. They don't have good reliability for what they're measuring. So you're getting data, it's giving you numbers, but those numbers aren't accurate and they're not repeatable, which is the real concern. Because if you test today, and then the numbers show up something different tomorrow and nothing's actually changed, it's just an error in the recording, then people make a lot of decisions based on that. So be careful. Always ask about the uh, validity and reliability. And if they can't give you that information, uh, that usually means it's too early. It doesn't mean the technology is bad and it won't be good at some point. It just means that they haven't done the required testing for us to trust the data yet. Um, You could do it yourself, potentially, but most tennis coaches and most folks we're talking about don't have the background or interest in evaluating things like that. So that's a caution. The things that are good, though, um, for example, you know, video-based assessments are really useful because you can just visually see where you are today and where you are next week, next month. Just put cut points in there. Make sure that they're done accurately. Film from the same angle. Film from the same distance record the right things, make sure if they're hitting drills, make sure it's a ball machine or the feeder is the same and it's at the same speed. It's always bad when you compare a stroke and someone's hand feeding one day and then racket feeding the next or using a ball machine the next, that's not the same. So we have to be consistent uh, with how we do our tests. And then from a basic standpoint, there are quite a few things now that you can do low cost that can give you accurate speed numbers, uh, accurate strength numbers, things like that. So it's uh, we don't have time to go through them all right now, okay. but just make sure that the accuracy is is uh, important. Just because it looks good doesn't mean it works well.
0: Definitely, you have to create your own protocol to follow systematically the information. Sinto, are you using something in Japan to to evaluate test? You know your kids. Yeah, well,
3: for me, because I work in a big academy environment, so I don't have much time to work what I call gimmicks, new gimmicks. I, I use basic stuff like like Mark was saying, video. That's the, that's the main technology uh, device that, that I use, create videos. And, and, and yeah, as Mark said, m- make sure that when we record, we, we always use the same parameters so we can really compare well um the 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 progression and the process of the player but that's that's the main technology that i use videos yes
0: yeah well it's coming uh the last question for Uh, our panel is coming from a fellow speaker of the conference conrad sin also from australia we have the australian here full full power uh um conrad is asking to all of you Uh, what's the right balance in terms of percentage of time spent weekly on physical development versus on-court development? And that's the first part of the question. Go ahead with the first part and then we can do the second part, okay? You are going first, Jan. Me,
2: oh, I I just follow the old rule of one-third match player, one-third drills, one-third physical conditioning. I think, of course, it has to be individualized you know, I, I'm trying to, yeah, Tennis Canada has great guidelines that they publish that's out there over each age group and the amount of hours and how much they should be spending on each thing. I think that those were well, well-researched, I mean, Mark would know better than me, but seem to be very well-researched um, guidelines from Tennis Canada.
0: Mark, about the balance between the physical area and the technical development.
1: Yeah, I think what Ian said is a great starting point. I mean, you know, when you're going into it, that's, that's a really, really good starting point. And then as we know, once athletes sort of start showing deficiencies or skills in certain areas, you may need to up certain areas that are, that are failing a little bit. Let's say you got an athlete who competes really well, uh, wins a lot of matches. They probably don't need as many matches. They need more physical work because that's maybe where they're not as strong. So, I mean, the the challenge is the good general recommendations are really good for the masses, and that's what most people should follow. And then as you start moving uh, out uh, along the bell curve, so to speak, you then have to start individualizing a little bit more. And at the younger ages, the more physical work we can do, um, the, uh, the more technical work we can do, the less matches is usually better because that's what they need. And then as they get older, matches become more and more important because results become more and more important. Um, so, but it's, it's that balance. And yeah, I don't have a, a perfect solution because every athlete's so different. But the third rule is still something very worthwhile.
0: Yes.
1: Um,
3: I don't want to put hours on, on this, on the balance between on court and, and, and training. But what I, I want to say is that we should not forget that we should... Try to integrate physical training and 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 on court, and some of the training has to be on court. So putting hours on on how much training we we, we should we should do, or we have to consider that on the court we should be also doing some physical development exercises, right? So what, what I would say is that it, the physical development has to be daily. Whatever it doesn't matter the age, it has to be a daily thing on and off the court. you, you have to see how to manage that, but it has to be a daily thing. That's for sure.
0: Remember, today is the day of the sports science. In every conference that we are doing, we are putting in the third day, the sports science. We have 17 presentations, two panels. We had today the mental panel, two hours uh, before, and now we have the physical panel. You have to keep learning, keep uh, researching and trying to do your best in everywhere that you are. Mark, I will ask you for the last words for people who are attending the conference. No,
1: I think this is great. Thank you um, to everyone involved, all the speakers giving up their time. A lot of them are at tournaments, at events. They're busy. You and your team for you know this is a one heck of an undertaking putting all this together. So you know, hopefully people get some good information out of it, um, and I'm ex- excited to help any way I can. People know how to reach me if they want to get in touch with me. So look forward to keeping in contact.
0: Thank you, Mark. Again. Last word to our colleagues. Um, knowledge is power. Use it.
2: Knowledge is very, very powerful. And you just try and use it. Use this knowledge that you're
3: getting. Absolutely. Shinto? Yeah, and just uh, really thank you for allowing me to be part of this presentation and be here with these great presenters. Um, um, I just encourage everybody, guys, to see as much presentation as, as you can and also share your your knowledge when you have the chance. It's very important that we all share our knowledge so we all move, move forward.
0: Yes, definitely. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you, Jan. Thank you very much also, Sinto. was a wonderful presentation also. To, it's wonderful to have you at the conference for second time, Mark and Ian. Uh, remember, it's a question to share. It's a question to keep learning. Keep doing your self-development we are here to help you and everywhere that you are thank you to be at the second world tennis conference by gptca and nsi with the support of the atp thank you mark ian cinto thank you very much
3: thank you everyone thank you very much
0: thank you